We are in a series called Top 10. Now, if you're paying attention, we've already done 10. We've done 10 weeks in this series. So how is there 11 sermons in a series called Top 10? We're doing this Top 10, which is on the 10 Commandments. And we've gone through all 10 of them, and yet here we are with week number 11. And the reason we're in week number 11 is because Jesus had something to say about this. And we're going to look at what Jesus said. Uh, But start off, I want to ask you a question. How do you guys remember a time in your life, like when you finally became aware that there were actually other people in the world? You guys remember that moment, like when you finally realized that you're not the only person on the planet? Like you had lived, I mean, for me, it was, I remember very specifically what happened. It was, we were on vacation. I can't remember how old I was. I'm going to put a number of eight years old on it, because that's just kind of where I'm I'm thinking it was. Uh, So I'm just going to say I was eight years old. We were on vacation. We were playing baseball. Like my dad was hitting, you know, hitting the ball to us, and we were out catching. For some reason, I got upset, and I walked off, and and I was all mad and I was all upset because whatever happened didn't go my way. And I remember sitting there in this moment on vacation as a kid, I just had this realization. Finally, it was like a revelation that there are other people there. Like they have other thoughts. Like they have other, just as I feel, you know, bad right now, they might feel bad that I made them feel bad. And all of a sudden this boom, this moment happened where I, I had this revelation that there are other people And so that kind of triggered something in my life where I started to now become aware of, uh, you know, I want to help other people feel good. I want to help other people do nice things for people. And so I'd find out different things that, you know, my mom would want, she'd want us to comb through her hair or something like do it, take a comb and comb through it. So I'd go over there and I'll comb through your hair, mom. And so I'm combing through her hair and I'm wondering what happens if I just kind of twist the comb up as I'm combing through? She doesn't know what's happening. I'm just combing, and I found out you cut the hair off. That's what happens because there's no undoing that. But I was trying, you know. So we would try to, you know, do things for my parents. We would, you know, as little kids, we'd try to set up a restaurant for them. We'd have these menus, and we would, you know, our culinary delights of PB&J sandwiches. Like, this is what we have to offer, but we're trying to offer it. And so, uh, you know, I try to do things, of course, you know, slip back into selfishness. But at least I was aware that there were other people in the world And I couldn't unknow what I now knew. But I quickly discovered that even though I couldn't unknow what I now knew, I could ignore what I now knew. And so I found myself slipping back into selfish times because I knew that there were other people, but I would choose to ignore other people and just go into my selfish thoughts or selfish ways. And I think this is what happens to us uh, as, you know, obviously as we're older, many of us are older than that, but I... I, we're older than eight years old, and we can't unknow what we now know, but we can ignore. And so, I, you know, I'm having that moment where I'm realizing there are other people. All my eight-year-old, all the eight years of my life, I had not known this, but now I know this. But there is a danger because what we once saw so clearly can easily become distorted and distracted through the cares of life and through the pursuits of life. There's a, uh, in a leadership article, magazine article, Lynn Anderson described what happens, you know, and they kind of painted a picture of, you know, 400 years ago, the pilgrims came and they landed on the, the shores of America or and whatever, and, you know, whatever the timeline is. And they landed here and, and they traveled across the ocean. They left everything. They, they left it all. They had amazing courage, amazing vision to do something so daring. And they traveled across the world 
and left it all. And so in the first year, they established a town. And they did all the things that established the town. The second year, they, established, they elected a town council because they need some sort of government to now function and to run this thing. And, and in the third year, they, the government proposed building a road five miles into the wilderness and in the fourth year, they impeached the elected government officials because of waste of government funds. <laughs> and it's just painting a picture of, of how quickly it is, how easily it is to slip back. That These once forward-looking people who could see across oceans could now no longer see five miles into the wilderness. They had all the courage it took to go across an ocean, but they, when it came to a few years later, they couldn't even see to explore five miles in because it's so easy for us to lose our vision and to lose what's important, and it's to lose sight of that. And so we talked through all of these top 10 commandments. We talked through all of them, and we're not just as a checklist, like can we somehow check off all the boxes and become right with God? That's not why we do that. We do this as an invitation to draw closer to Jesus. But in the midst of all of that, there is a temptation for us to lose sight of what's important. And so somebody asked Jesus about these Ten Commandments, and we see it here in Matthew chapter 22 and verse 34. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? Because there's not just the ten, but there's also the you know, total of 613, depending on how you count them, and... Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law? And he said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So Jesus sums up all of these commandments into two that we call one, the great commandment, which is kind of the, two, you know, the same coin but has two sides. Love the Lord your God with all your heart soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. That makes up. That's the summary of all of it. And he said, on all of this depends all the law and the prophets. Well, what did he mean by that? Well, what he meant by that is that there was something leading up to that moment. There was some purpose for all of these things happening. And so to give us a quick history lesson and maybe a spiritual history lesson on this, we're going to let the Bible Project do it. So they do such a great job. Let's check this out. You're most likely familiar with the Ten Commandments in the Bible, stuff we generally take as good advice. Don't murder, don't steal, honor your parents, the list goes on. And those are just the first ten. There are actually a total of 613 commands, all given to ancient Israel, found in the first five books of the Bible, which in Hebrew are called the Torah. Now the word Torah is usually translated in English as the law, because it has all of these laws in it. And as you read through them, you wonder, Am I supposed to obey some of these, all of these? I mean, what's the purpose of the law? Well, that translation is kind of confusing because while the Torah has laws in it, the book itself is fundamentally a story about how God is creating new kinds of people who are fully able to love God and love others. And when Jesus taught about the Torah, he said that he was bringing that story to its fulfillment. So walk me through the story and how it's fulfilled. So the story begins with God creating humanity who rebels. And God chooses Abraham to bless all of the nations through his family, who end up in slavery down in Egypt, and so God rescues them. Then at Mount Sinai, God makes a covenant with Israel, like an agreement. And all of the laws that Moses gives to Israel are the terms of that agreement. They're like a constitution. And so some of the laws, they're about rituals and customs that set Israel apart from the nations. 
Other laws are about social justice or morality. And by following these, Israel would show the other nations what God is like. Okay, so the rest of the Torah is just the complete list of laws that Moses gives Israel? Mm, No, the rest of the Torah just continues the story. And the 613 commands are only a selection from that original constitution. And even these have been broken up and placed at strategic points within the story. Now pay attention because you'll see a really clear pattern. Moses gives the first laws to Israel. Don't worship other gods, don't make idols. And then right after that, there's a story of Israel breaking those very laws. Yeah, they worship the golden calf. And so Moses gives some more laws. And then you get more stories of rebellion. Some more laws, rebellion again, some more laws, more rebellion. And you start to see the point. Right, no matter how many laws, they're just going to continue to rebel. So at the conclusion of the Torah's story, Moses gives this final speech to Israel as they prepare to go into their new home. And he tells them, you guys, I know that you're not going to follow all of God's laws. You've proven to me that you're incapable. And Moses says the problem is that their hearts are hard and that they're going to need new transformed hearts if they're ever going to truly follow God's law. And he was right. I mean, the story goes on to recount Israel's total failure. They go into the land. They break all the laws. Right. Now, the next section of books in the Jewish tradition are the 15 books of the prophets, and they reflect back on the story. For example, Ezekiel, he said that if Israel was ever going to obey the law, God's spirit would have to transform their hard hearts into soft hearts. And Jeremiah said that's when obedience to God's commands wouldn't feel like a duty, but they would be written deep in their hearts. And Isaiah, he promised a future leader, Israel's Messiah, who will lead all of the people in obedience to the law. Now, in Jewish tradition, all of these books together are called the prophets, even the historical books, because they're continuing the story told from the perspective of the prophets. Okay, so we have the law and the prophets, and they're telling one connected story about God's desire to bless the whole world through a people, Israel, who it turns out needs a new heart. Yes, and Jesus saw himself as continuing that story. So he agreed with the law and the prophets when he taught that it's out of the human heart that come the most ugly parts of human nature. It's like the default setting of our hearts is opposed to God's law. But Jesus also said that he came to solve that problem, and in his words, to fulfill the law. So what does he mean there to fulfill the law? Well, first he said that the demand of all of the laws in the Torah could be fulfilled by what he called the great command, that we are to love God and to love others. So that seems pretty easy. I mean, we all want to love. Well, we think we want to love. But Jesus showed how love is far more demanding than we realize. So he quotes the law, do not murder. And he says, yes, not killing someone is a very loving thing to do. But then he also says that when you treat someone with disrespect or when you nurse resentment against them, you're also violating God's moral ideal because you're not treating that person with love. And so Jesus said true love ought to extend even to our own enemies. So even though this command seems very simple, Jesus showed how our hearts are not currently equipped to fulfill even this basic command of God to love others. And that's kind of a downer. But where Israel failed, Jesus brought this story to its fulfillment. As Israel's Messiah, he fully loved God and others. And he showed all of the nations what God is truly like. He did this through his acts of compassion and mercy and ultimately by loving his enemies even unto death. And after his resurrection, he told his followers that he would send God's spirit to transform their hearts so that they could follow him and fulfill the purpose of the law, to love God and to love their neighbor. 
So this fulfills the story of the law and the prophets, or in the words of the Apostle Paul, the one who loves fulfills the law. So I'm going to give you three things to think about when it comes to this today. And the first one may sound very, very strong, but it's true. And it's this. You can't love God if you don't love people. You can't love God if you don't love people. I mean, that, that's two, two sides. It's one coin. It's like they are joined together because the heart of God is relationships. The heart of God is for people. The Father's heart is for people. You can't detach from that. So we see another place in Scripture where it's talked about this, this great commandment. And it's a very famous story where this lawyer asked Jesus a question, you know, about what to do. And on the same topic, Luke chapter 10, this lawyer says, but he desiring to just, justify himself said to Jesus, well, if I'm supposed to love my neighbor, then who's my neighbor? Because in their culture, in, in, their, in their society, the neighbor at the time was somebody, they, they totally understood it as somebody who was like them, who looked like them, who talked like them, who had the same take as them, who uh, you know, thought like them, who had the same religion as them. That, that was their neighbor. And so Jesus comes and he, he kind of blows up this perspective and this perception of this. He says, who's my neighbor? And so Jesus replies by telling a story. It's a very famous story. It says, a man was going down to Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now, by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And so, this was to, to his audience, it was telling the story of okay, one of your spiritual leaders passed by this, saw this broken man, went by around him, and left him, even though he was hurting. So he goes on and he says, so likewise a Levite, this would be like another spiritual leader, possibly a worship leader or something, came down the road and he has an opportunity to, be, to help. And, and it says, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, see, the Samaritan in Jesus' day was somebody who was the enemy of the Jews. They were not on the same side. They were somebody, uh, you know, you just imagine somebody on the other political affiliation or somebody from another religion or somebody from another perspective. I mean, this was like as far as you could get. They, they hated them. They would avoid, they would go out of their way to not have to travel uh, around these people. This is how bad it was. And so it says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was. And when he saw him, he had compassion. And then Jesus said, later on, he goes on and he says, so who do you think was a neighbor to the beaten man? What Jesus does is he makes, a, he makes somebody that was their enemy the hero of the story. This had to just totally mess with them, right? I mean, they totally mess with them. So whoever you think is on the other side of whatever issue you've got going on right now, whether it be, you know, something that's happening in the news or something that's happening in your life personally, just imagine Jesus telling you a story and they end up being the hero of the story. Because Jesus wasn't trying to answer the question, who is the neighbor? Jesus was answering the question, who will be the neighbor? And the answer is that the person who had compassion was becoming the neighbor. And so many times we want to point the finger, you know, at the other side and say, well, you know, you're not, you're not a neighbor of mine. And Jesus says, well, the one, I'm telling you that the one who is a neighbor is the one who becomes a neighbor. So that means that everyone is your neighbor. That means that you are the neighbor to everyone. That's how he was answering that question, because he had compassion. So love is wrapped up in all of this. I've told this story before. It's just an illustration of somebody who invited their friend to church, 
uh, and they, were, they went to church, and, and at church, they sat through the service, sat through the songs, and then the preacher got up and preached, and he, he said, listen, if you don't repent of your sin, you're going to go to hell. And so they're driving back home from church, and the, the person who was invited to, you know, said to the person, they said, I see you got a new preacher. And he said, yeah, we did get a new pastor. And he said, well, why did you get a new pastor? And he said, well, because our last pastor said that if, if you didn't repent, you're going to go to hell. And the guy says, but your new pastor just said the same thing. And he said, yeah, but it seemed like our old pastor was happy about it. See, there's a difference, isn't there? There's a difference in the heart. This is what was trying to be illustrated. Our hearts need to be broken by the things that break the Father's heart. What he was trying to say is that our new pastor, it breaks his heart. And so we have to have compassion for people. Now, listen, let me, let me, just, let me just jump right into it. I, I don't even have to say this. This is like the understatement of the century, but how many of you guys know 2020 was a rough year? Anybody know that? Okay, I'm just seeing who I'm talking to here. It was a rough year for a lot of people, a lot of reasons. We could go down a whole list. I, I know for me, it personally was. It exposed a lot of things in me that I thought I had dealt with. Emotional things, maturity issues, spiritual growth issues. I mean, I could go down a list of things that it gave me an opportunity to see things that I thought that I had worked through in one way or the other. And so I was given an opportunity to, to look at those things and to grow. And so... While I would never want to go through that again, I am thankful for the opportunities that I had to grow in, in that last year. And so it was, I don't know, it was last week or the week before, I can't remember which it was, but I was either reading a news story or some, something happened where all of a sudden I could feel like the stress of 2020, like starting to happen again. Like, you guys know what I'm talking about? Like, I could feel the anxiety raising up. I could feel the tension in me. I could feel the stress starting to happen in me. And I was like, I mean, I, it was like 2020 PTSD or something. It was like happening. It's like triggered. I was like, and so I was like, no, I've got to get this out. I've got to cast this out of me. I've got to get this out. Because I'm not going to go into something the same way I went into it last time. I'm a different person. I have more, I have more capacity to love than I have before. I have more capacity to grow. I have more, I have more of the fruit of the Spirit in my life now than I had before. I, I have more of that because I have chosen to have compassion, but I could feel my meter starting to rise. You know what I'm saying? And I had to make a choice what I was going to do with that. And, and, I, and I decided, you know, because if I'm just honest with you guys, I, when I went into 2020, I, I decided I was going to push through it. And I pushed through it. But I, I'm telling you, I am not going to push through this next season. I'm going to love through this next season. I'm not just going to push through. I'm going to love through. And I want to challenge us all to do that, to love through whatever that looks like for you. Whatever the, whoever the Samaritan is for you. To make a decision not just to push through or to pass by, but to love through. We can't love people well if we don't have the Father's heart. That's what this is talking about. The Father's heart is for people. Because a lot of times when we don't love people, it's, it's because we don't know their story. It's because we're not in their shoes. A lot of times it's because we don't know all the pieces. Let me tell you, a couple years ago, I was very frustrated with some people just as a pastor because I'm like, man, they're not connecting. They're not connecting. I give them every opportunity to connect. I give them ideas. I give them, you know, email address. I give them, you know, introduce them to people and they're not connecting. 
And I was frustrated that they just were not connecting. No matter what I did, they were not connecting. And then I heard their backstory and I heard all of the things that they had gone through, even to the point of some horrific things that they were kidnapped as a teenager. No wonder you have a hard time connecting. I have no idea. See, we're so quick. We're so quick, aren't we, to be frustrated. We're so quick. And we don't know what they're going through. And it doesn't justify wrong behavior, but it, it should move something in us to have compassion to people, have compassion for people. We don't know where they're at. And, and we get filled with pride. That's what happened with the priest and the Levite. They, they were filled with pride. Pride says this. Pride says that, that uh, I, I know better than them, number one. It's like, I know better than them. Pride, number two, also says, I am better than them. Pride note, number three, it says, I'm the exception to the rule. And we start to put this on other people, right? This is what the story that Jesus is telling is communicating to us. It's like to eradicate this pride and to, to take down the barriers and to have compassion because we don't know what someone else is doing on the other side or what they're going through because you cannot do the work of God without the heart of God. Let me say that again. You cannot do the work of God without the heart of God. The priest and the Levite were trying to do the work of God, but they didn't have the heart of God. And so whatever that looks like in your life, man, this is a gut check for us to wake up and to say, I want to have the love of God in my heart. You see, when Jesus walked around people, some people saw problems, but Jesus saw people. Some people saw projects, but Jesus saw people. I mean, you think about the woman at the well who'd been, you know, had five husbands. How many of you guys know that would be a project, right? I mean, if you're thinking about it as a counselor, I got to sit down and untangle all these knots. Jesus didn't see a project. He saw people. When Jesus would come around poor people, he didn't see poverty. He saw people. We have to get past, you know, we will never have the heart of the Father if all we see are problems, projects, poverty, or fill in the blank. We will never have the heart of the Father until when we look at others, we see people and we have the heart of God of compassion for them. Luke chapter 10, verse 33, let me read this again. It says, but a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, didn't see a project, didn't see a problem, didn't see an issue, didn't see somebody who had hated him and mistreated him, didn't see any of that. He saw a person in need, and he ended up having more of the heart of the Father than those who were called by the Father. He, he loved them. He had compassion on them. So are you loving people in your words, your actions, your thoughts, your attitudes? We all are struggling with this at times, so this is not a condemnation. This is just simply an invitation for us to address it in our heart. Am I loving people who have a different take, a different side, a different uh, position in life, a different thought process than I do, a different political affiliation, a different religion? Am I really loving people? Because Jesus had the heart of love. And let me just say it again. If you, if you think maybe Sean's making this up, that you can't love God without loving people, watch this, 1 John 4, verse 19. It says, we love because he first loved us. If anyone says, I love God, but he hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this is the commandment we have from him. Whoever loves God must also love his brother. It's very plain. We need to say, God, give me your heart of love for people. And, and there's probably something that we're all wrestling with right now, right? That we're like having to choose love right now. The heart of God is for love. Now, at the same time, though, how many of you guys have ever felt like, yes, I want to love people. But at what point do I 
stand up for what's right. Does loving people mean that I just, that that's all I do is just love, 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 and that even when I see wrong, that I never do anything, I never say anything, I never hold true? What, what does that mean? What does that look like to just love people? Because the world sometimes wants to say that, you know, it, that love means that you just have to accept everything and go along with everything. So what does it look like to love people? That brings us to point number two. Being loving does not mean being silent. There are things that we, we hold fast to. Are there, there are things that we, that we speak truth about. So how do we do that? How do we do that? Well, I was talking with my brother, Jake, uh, who's in Thailand, and, and we were kind of talking back and forth about these things, and, and he shot this video to kind of give us a perspective. And I, I said, man, you gotta you got let me share that because that's, uh, that, that really kind of gives us something to think about. And so here, check this video out from my brother. Okay, I want to share with you guys something that uh, I've been challenged with to think about this week. And that is the difference between neutrality versus being impartial. And how do we process this and live it out as Christians? And I think these two terms are very important to sort out. Uh, and the way that I think I'll illustrate this is telling a, a police story. When I was working as a police officer, I went through a training on how to testify in court and how to um, mitigate sleazy defense attorney tactics. And one of the things they, the instructor told me, he said to the class, he said, okay, you're on the stand, you've, you've sworn in, and you're testifying, and the defense attorney says, officer, do you think my client is guilty? And the instructor said, how would you answer that question? And, you know, kind of weary of a trick, we're kind of looking at each other, and he said, of course you think he's guilty. You're the one who arrested him, you know, but it's a, it's a, simple tactic that a defense attorney uses, you know, to try to, to try to show that, you know, to try to get you to say, well, I don't, I don't know if he's guilty or not. Right. And then how can you convict this guy? If the officer doesn't even think he's guilty, if the, if the officer is so neutral in the matter that he doesn't even have an opinion, then why should you as the jury have an opinion, um, that he's guilty. And so, you know, but what they were pointing out to us is that, listen, as a police officer, you need to be impartial in how you enforce the law. You do not want to enforce the law and be, you know, use your biases and things like that to be partial in who you arrest. It's good to be impartial, but once you determine that somebody has committed a crime and you can prove it, you're no longer neutral on the matter. At this point, you have an opinion, and that opinion is that he is guilty, and that's why you arrested him. And so I think that's a great illustration of what I kind of want to talk about to separate impartiality versus being neutral, because Jesus was not neutral. He was everything but neutral. He had extremely strong opinions on things, which is what made him so unpopular. And, you know, you're not going to 
get in trouble and be persecuted for telling people that Jesus loves you. That's, that's fine. You can do that all day long. But when you start calling sin, sin, then all of a sudden you make a lot of people unhappy because you have an opinion now that is maybe against the status quo. And the status quo really just wants us to be neutral in our opinions. And what does being neutral mean? I mean, to be neutral basically just means to go with the flow, that I'm not going to rock the boat and have an opinion. Well, what is the status quo? The status quo is typically whoever's the biggest, baddest bully that can enforce their will on somebody else. And so when we're neutral, we're really not neutral at all. We're really just supporting the status quo of whatever that is, um, be it good or bad. But oftentimes, it, it barely rises above, it's, it's borderline supporting what's wrong by being neutral. And so what I want to encourage you guys to do as Christians, be impartial. We want to love people impartially, you know, and we want to serve people and be impartial in who we serve. If there's a need, we don't want to just love people and help people that agree with us, that think like we do. Uh, that That is not good. It is it is good to be impartial, but we neither is, we are not supposed to be neutral. We have our faith and we should be bold in sharing it. That is the salt and the light. We are called to be the salt and the light. If we don't share our faith, if we don't, if we stay neutral, then the salt has no flavor and it's, it's useless. It gets cast out, right? So for us to have an impact on society, for us to um, be faithful to what we believe, we do need to have an opinion and we do not need to be neutral on issues. So be bold, speak boldly, do not be neutral, have an opinion, but serve impartially and with love for everybody. And that's my, uh, what I've been processing and what I just kind of want to throw as an encouragement to you guys. All right, so good things to think about, good things to think about, like, because sometimes we can think about, like, today, it's like, well, what are we supposed to do? Are we supposed to, you know, speak up for things, not speak up? Are we supposed to, how do we love people? And the truth is, there's a temptation for us to be moved by culture, right? There's a temptation for us to be moved on issues where the Bible clearly says this is not right or this is right. There's a temptation for us to be moved in that. And that the, the truth is, we should not be neutral on the issues where the Bible says clearly what is right and what is wrong. And so when we talk about loving people, it doesn't mean being moved on what the Bible says is right. It doesn't mean that we move away from that just to love people. There are things that we need to stand up for. There are things that we should uh, hold fast to. There are things that we should champion that are right and things that we should shun that, they're, that are wrong. And, and some of you guys, when you hear that, you, you think, and Jake and I talked about this after uh, that video, but some of us think, well, I've got an opinion. I'm happy to share it. How many of you guys like, I got plenty of opinions. I'm ready to share it, right? I get it. I'm, I'm right there. 
Let, let me give you two quick thoughts on this subject and then we'll move on. Uh, you know, because the truth is we, we are supposed to hold fast. We are supposed to champion some things. But number one, the first thought is this, and this is the caution. Many people don't know where their Bible stops and their opinion starts. Because here's the thing. The Bible is very clear on things that are right, things that are wrong. What is sin and what is not sin. And then the Bible gives us principles that we have in our real life situation today, our real time situation today, that it's not specifically addressed in the Bible, but gives us principles on how to apply the truths of God's word to those things. So caution number one is be very careful when we're applying principles instead of things that are known, exact things, but when we apply principles to those things, be very careful, because a lot of us don't seem to know when our Bible stops and our opinion starts. We have to be very careful and be wise in that area uh, because we can, what, what happens is people end up not knowing where that stops and starts and then we share something very, very strong. And I've done this. We share something very, very strong and it ends up being a mixture of what the Bible said and then what Sean is saying. And I had somebody a long time ago was telling me about how to counsel people as a pastor and, and how, um, yeah, you're going to have opinions. You're going to have thoughts about those things. Be very, very clear when it's your opinion and when it's scripture. Because I don't want to counsel people to my opinion. I want to counsel them to the word of God. And it's, it's by wisdom that a house is built, not on opinions. And so be very, very careful. And then the second thing about this is part of being salt and light isn't just pointing out sin or pointing out wrong. It's actually lifting up Jesus. And the fact that we say Jesus is our hope, that Jesus is the only way, that Jesus is the, those are the things that, it's the goodness of God that leads people to repentance. Sometimes we think about, well, I want to be bold and I'm going to stand my ground and I'm going to you know, go against society. You know, sometimes the most rebellious thing you can do in society is live for Jesus because the world is going the other way. And so when you say, I'm going to hold fast to Jesus, I'm going to hold fast to Jesus, it's a, it's a very strong statement, okay? All right, number, number three is this. When you plant the truth in love, good things can grow. When you plant the truth in love, good things can grow. Ephesians chapter four, verse 15 through 16. This is where we should start getting excited and get some hope because God wants us to use uh, truth planted in love. Watch this. It says, rather speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way. So when you put the truth in love, growth happens. In every way, into him who's the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by uh, which every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up, what? In love. It builds itself up in love. So when you plant the truth in love, good things can grow. What I'm saying is we're not supposed to just be flamethrowers. We're supposed to be truth sowers. Somebody needs to write that down, okay? We don't just need to be flamethrowers. We need to be truth sowers. Sowing what? Sowing the truth in love. Because when you plant the truth in love, good things can grow. I'm not just talking about dropping truth bombs. I'm talking about bringing truth, dropping truth in people's life that actually produces life. Okay, that's what we want. It's life. So not just flamethrowers, but truth sowers. Because here's the thing. You can plant the truth in a lot of things. You can plant the truth in division. Something's going to grow. It's not going to be good. We can plant the truth in a lot of things. But when we plant the truth in love, Scripture says good things grow. 
So we want to have the truth rooted in love. And when we speak the truth in love, God things happen. God moves. God speaks. But let me give you another way to think about this here at the end. And, and it's, uh, it's going to ask you a question. Are you a receiver or a reproducer? What I mean by that is when you come to, to church like this, are you here to receive or are you here for a, another purpose? And to help illustrate this, um, David Platt, uh, he's a pastor and author and wrote several books. Um, he was in Sudan one time. And as he was preaching in Sudan, he noticed like that as he, in a service like this, no one was looking at him. And it's like right now I've got like lights in my eyes. I can't see everybody as clear as you might think. But he, he was like, he just noticed everyone is like not look, making eye contact at all. And he was like, what is the deal? And so he asked somebody, he's like, what's the deal? Like, why is nobody's looking at me? Every time I preach, nobody's looking at me. He said, they're taking notes. They're, they're just looking, they're just taking notes. He's like, oh, great. And he said, no, you don't understand. They're taking notes because they've got to take what you're telling them and go pass this on to other people. Like, that's the whole reason they're here. They're not here to get something for themselves. They're here because they've, they know that they've got to come here and get something to give to somebody else. And David's like, man, if only people in the United States got that message. Because if we're honest, how many of us are here because we think, well, I want to get something from God today. I want to get a word from God. I want to hear the word of God. I want to worship. And that's a good thing. We ought to do that. And you are getting that right now. I believe that you are getting that. Like God is downloading some things. You might be getting challenged. You might be encouraged. You might be convicted. All of those things are good. But what would happen if everyone here showed up and you knew that your purpose was not to show up and get something, but your, show, your purpose was to write something down because you're going to go out and give something to somebody? Like, that's your whole reason. Like, is this such a foreign concept to us that we don't even understand what I'm saying right now? Because that's how I feel. Like, I feel like David Platt. Like, no one's looking at me. What a foreign concept. What if you are here today and it's not for you? What if you're here today and you're supposed to take all that you can and I'm gonna take this word of God, I'm gonna take this truth and I'm gonna go find somebody, I'm gonna go sow this truth in love into somebody else's life. Let me, let me put it in a different way. Have you guys ever got an Amazon package delivered to your house that wasn't your package? Anybody ever got one? And, and how many of you guys, when you got it, there was for a moment, you're tempted to keep it. Anybody just, come on, come on. You're like, you even open it up. You're like, man, what is it? It's like, and then you take it. I accidentally opened this up. I just, you know, we did not do that. I'm not saying we did that, okay? <laughs> Thought about it, but it was uh, just curious. I mean, you get a package and you're like, this is not mine. And so you're tempted to keep it. Let me ask you, what are you receiving from God that you're tempted to keep that's not yours? It was never intended to be yours. It was given to you to pass to someone else. What, are you, what have you received that's not for you? See, this is when we have the heart of God for people and we realize that we have that awareness like my little eight-year-old self finally realized, oh, it's not all about me. Like all of a sudden we have a realization, you know, I had a realization in the natural, but you know, you can have a realization in the spiritual. Like now that I'm born again, now some of us need to have that awareness right now that we wake up right now and there's this revelation and we're like, oh, there are other people? Oh, there are other people who have, oh, I, I see, I'm supposed to not just be a receiver, I'm supposed to be a giver. See, the great commandment to love the Lord your God with all your heart, your soul, your mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is tied to the great commission. 
And the Great Commission is found in Matthew chapter 28. Going to have the worship team come back up at this time. Getting ready to close here. It says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I'm, always, I'm with you always to the end of the age. Great commission ought to lead us to the great, or great commandment ought to lead us to the great commission. There's something about when we finally realize that we're here for other people. We're here to love. We're here to sow. We're here to stand for truth. We're here to plant truth in love that produces results. How many of you guys are familiar with uh, the Lord of the Rings? Anybody? The Lord of the Rings? All right. How about Chronicles of Narnia? Anybody Chronicles of Narnia? All right. You know that those that Tolkien and C.S. Lewis were friends in their lifetime. They were friends with one another. And it's said that, that Tolkien introduced C.S. Lewis to Christianity. And that C.S. Lewis ultimately came to Christ. And that it was C.S. Lewis that encouraged Tolkien to continue, to writing, you know, continue writing fiction when he was discouraged. And so they say, you know, that the literary world would not have Lord of the Rings or the Chronicles of Narnia if it wasn't for the friendship of these two men. And it was because they continued to pour into one another that ultimately, you know, he was still, Tolkien was still creating, but, but better than that, Lewis came to Christ and produced a whole lot of other things. And we, we have no idea what our impact is when we're sowing truth in love to people, you know, or we're sowing truth in love. But let me end up with this last scripture, and I just want to let, this, this scripture messes with me every time I read it. I don't understand it. I don't, I, I don't it's hard for me to think about, because I can't wrap my mind around it. I want to, but it's like hard for me to try to put myself here. Romans chapter 9, verse 1. It says, with Christ as my witness, this is Paul talking, he says, I speak with other truthfulness. My conscience and the Holy Spirit confirm it. I mean, you guys know he's pretty much saying this is, this is for real. <laughs> I mean, like I'm speaking the truth. The Holy Spirit will confirm it. My conscience is clear that I'm saying it. This is real. This is, I'm, this is the truth. And he says, my heart is filled with bitter sorrow and unending grief for my people, my Jewish brothers and sisters. Watch this. He says, I would be willing to be forever cursed, cut off from Christ if that would save them. Paul was so concerned with love for people, for their salvation, that he says, listen, Holy Spirit is my witness. I would rather trade my eternity and give it up just so that they could have it with God. Wow, right? And he's talking about people who used to be on the other side. Remember, he was killing people who were starting to come to Jesus. These were the other side, ultimately. And he comes to this point where he's like, I'm willing to trade in my eternity so that they might have one with God. That's unbelievable. I don't even know what to do with that. I, I seriously, I don't know what to do with that. And it doesn't mean that that's like, well, I'm just, uh, that's where I want to get to this place where I don't even care about going to heaven. So I can, that's not what it's talking about. It's talking about such a deep love for people that it's gone way beyond 
my personal opinion of people. There's a love of God. It can only happen with the supernatural love of God in our heart. It's the only place. It's the only way. And this is what Jesus did for us. You remember, he traded in, he, he traded the curses on himself. He, he took the curse. He took the sin. He traded our place. Died on the cross. But he rose from the dead so that we could walk in freedom. He rose from the dead so that we could walk in this victory. He rose from the dead so that we could give this invitation to other people. He did this so that we might walk in freedom, so we might walk in love towards other people. And so I pray that this message is an encouraging, challenging, convicting message today, message of love for people. And I want you to just take just a moment and think about who's on your other side, who's your Samaritan. Now let's come back and let's say, Am I doing the work of the Father without the heart of the Father? And God, help me to supernaturally have your love for people. Help me to supernaturally love. Whatever that looks like. You gotta lean into the Holy Spirit on that one. Okay? You gotta lean into the Word of God on that one and play that out. But the point is that we get ourselves in a position where we can hear, we can listen, where the walls come down, where we look at people, we don't see problems, we don't see projects, we don't see poverty, we don't see issues, we see people just like God sees them. Could you guys stand up with me and let's offer this time to God. You know, it's times like this, we wanna just say, Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me? Not what do you need to speak to them? What do you need to speak to my husband or my wife or whatever? Holy Spirit, what are you speaking to me right now? What are you speaking to me right now? Lord, we want that supernatural love for other people. We want to take your truth and plant it in love. We're not going to be moved off of what is true, but Lord, we want to hang on to your truth in love. Lord, help us somehow to move a little bit closer to this attitude that Paul had. That when we see other people, we're not, we're not trying to walk around them. We're not trying to do anything but lead them to you, God. Lord, let that be our heart today. Let that be our heart today. Holy Spirit, come in this moment right now. Do something that only you can do in this moment. Only you can put in a new heart. Not a heart that's trying to do a checklist, but a new heart. So that once was trying to be an external checklist for us. Now, because of a new heart, it becomes the internal desires of our heart. And out of the abundance of our heart flows. Lord, put in that new heart in us. So that what flows out of us is the fruit or the result of the spirit in our life. Of love, of joy, of patience, of peace, of goodness, of self-control. Of All of these things are the result of the spirit. Lord, let that be flowing through us. And let it start in this room, as we talked about last week, let it start in this room so that we would be known by our love one for another. That we're gonna get it right here and then we're gonna get it right there. Lord, let it be true of us. Let it be true in our marriages. Let it be true in our families. Let it be true in our relationships. Let it be true in this church. Let it be true in our friendships. 
Let it be true in, in every person that we encounter because it's out of the overflow. It's not some checklist that we're doing externally, but it's out of the internal reserves and the flow of our heart that we go back to the well that brings life. So Lord, I, I just declare that over us in Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. Let's worship one more time. Let's pour out our worship to God. This is an opportunity for us to respond to what we've heard and for the Holy Spirit to speak into our life in this time, even in worship, because this is what happens. Worship is for God, and as a result of that, sometimes our heart becomes so focused and so clear, and we see God so clearly that things start to rearrange in us just by naturally worshiping God. So that's what we do right now. Let's worship.